my name is Mauricio Flores. I live in San Pedro, Belize. I came to the island when I was 14. I started drinking, smoking, going around. Nobody told me what was good and what was wrong, doing bad things. I never realized that I was hurting my life, myself. I felt that there was like no reason for me in this world. I was a miserable person. There was like a lot of doubts in my heart. I thought there is like no way I could be forgiven of many things that have been done wrong. One day, the pastor Todd came to the island and he was baptizing some other people. And I was there and I was seeing all around what's going on, seeing everybody's happiness because they already have Christ. So I give up my life to Christ the same day and I get baptized. When I came out of that water, that was something different. From that time, my life changed completely. I, was, I felt I was a new person and all the people was around me, they were so happy. They were so excited of, the what, of which step I just taken. After I was baptized, I never had a Bible. I know I'd never know what, what, what was a Bible. So here at the Sagebrush, they gave me my first Bible. This was my first Bible in my life. After 30 years ago, I have been living under mess. No, I'm saved by God. When they gave me this Bible, I don't know what was inside. That was when I first know for the first time that Jesus paid my sins. He dies on the cross for my sins and your sins. I just thankful to God and my friends who's around me, people who really loves me. I just want to thank you, the people here at the Sagebrush who gave me this Bible and thank Jesus Christ to come into my life. Those stories never get old, do they? Man, when we have the opportunity to take the Bible into a missions place or down to the country of Belize, we get to see God turn things upside down. And when people read and understand the Bible, it has this incredible power to change them from deep down from within inside. And that's what God has been doing. And over this series, through the text series, we've been learning all about the fact that we have the Bible the very word of God. And we've understood that this Bible shouldn't just stay on our shelf collecting dust. No, it was meant to be read. It was meant not just to be read, but to be understood. And I believe that it was meant to be understood in community. I don't think God intended us to find some hole somewhere or a cave just to read the Bible all by ourselves. No, the Bible was meant to be understood in community. And that's what we're going to learn a little bit more about today as I share one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. And it comes from the book of Nehemiah. Now, it's not very often that we study a book like Nehemiah in the Old Testament. So you might be a little confused as to what's going on in the story. So let me catch you up real fast on the story of Nehemiah. The Jewish people have been in exile for 70 years. They didn't keep up their end of the bargain by following God's commandments. And so God took them away. 
But after 70 years, God miraculously shows up and he allows them to come back to the land of Jerusalem as well as all of Israel. But there's a problem. The nation of Jerusalem and Israel is just in complete shambles. The walls in Jerusalem have been destroyed and knocked down. And man, it was a mess. Now back during that time when your walls were destroyed, it was a symbol that you and your people were defeated and your God was small. So what would you do in that situation? Well, probably you'd get busy and you'd try to fix it. But the Israelites, they don't get busy. In fact, they live among that rubble for a long, long time. They don't lift a finger. They get kind of this attitude of like, oh, it's, it's good enough. I mean, it's good enough. We can get by and everything else. And then after a while, they get so comfortable, they don't even notice that the walls have been taken down. Have you ever had that in your life where you get kind of a, a good enough mentality? For me, that happened last summer during the pandemic because my kids had nothing to do. And so my wife came to me with this brilliant idea. She's like, why don't we put in an above-ground pool in the backyard? And I'm thinking about that idea. I have this beautiful green grass in my backyard. And I have worked so hard to keep the grass very, very green. Put all the chemicals on it, try to keep it green and everything else. But my wife's like, no, no, I really think it'd be fun for the kids. All the public pools are closed. Would you please, please put it in an above-ground pool? And because happy wife equals a happy life, I went ahead and put in the above-ground pool. Well, my kids loved the pool for the whole summer, and it was great for about two months. Then after about two months, it started turning green and slimy. So my wife again was like, could you take out the above-ground pool? So I pulled the pool out. And all my grass in my whole backyard had rotted underneath. It smelled, it was nasty, and nobody wanted to do anything about it. And I didn't want to do anything about it either. Because I felt very proud about my green grass, and my wife had killed it. So I didn't want to do anything either. And so as it stood for a year now... Our grass is still rotting in my backyard because I haven't wanted to do anything. And I kind of accepted that mentality of, uh, it's good enough. I mean, my kids won't go in our backyard. We never go back out there anymore because it's just kind of nasty. And we accepted that mindset of just, it's kind of good enough. Now, we've done that for a year. The Jewish people did that for 94 years. They sat in the city of Jerusalem and no one lifted a finger. Nobody wanted to do anything about the walls being taken down. And they just kind of get comfortable with that situation. That was until God raises up this guy named Nehemiah. And I love Nehemiah because he is as blue collar as they come. He was a bodyguard to the king of Persia. And he was his personal cupbearer. But God filled him up with this vision. He heard about the shame of the Israelites and how they never lifted a finger to, to put those walls back up. And so he asked for permission to go back to the city of Jerusalem. And the king of Persia says, go ahead. He goes back to the city of Jerusalem and he inspires the people. He goes out and he says, man, we have got to do something about it. And he gets them rallied and they put up the wall in 52 days. But he knows that that wasn't enough. Because the Israelites were no longer just shaken inside by their surroundings. But spiritually they were also bankrupt. They had stopped reading the Bible for themselves. And so about two months after they put up that wall, Nehemiah throws a party. 
He throws this big, huge celebration where they read the Bible together. And they have this amazing worship service right by that wall that they had just completed. And it's at that point that they get serious about their relationship with God. It was when they read the Bible in community that it turned their life upside down. And I believe it's a pattern for how you and I should read the Bible together in community. We find that story in Nehemiah chapter 8. And it's found in verse number 1. Here's what it says. All the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it out loud from daybreak till noon. As he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Now I love this. Because they gather together to do what? To have a party reading the Bible. And they gather together right by the water gate. Which would have been right next to that wall that they had constructed. And they bring out Ezra the scribe to read the word. And what we find is that everyone is assembled. Nobody was missing this. This was their opportunity to get back on track. And so they all gathered together. They're all assembled. Now there would have been over 40,000 people that day gathered just to hear the reading of the Bible. And not only do they gather men, women, and anyone who could understand, but they are all listening attentively. Everyone is engaged. Everyone is listening to what's going on. Now, I have been a pastor for a while now in church, and it's not very often that everyone is listening. In fact, I can still remember, like, the very first time I ever preached a sermon, there was a man five rows back, and he had fallen asleep before I even started speaking. He was there, and he was, like, he was in one of those old-fashioned pews, and he was out. And I was like, I haven't even started speaking yet. And you're already asleep. But I've seen some bored people inside a church. And I remember when I was a kid growing up in my very traditional church, man, I was so bored. And back during that time, we didn't have smartphones or anything else. So we would sit inside a church and I'd sit with my friends playing tic-tac-toe or mash. And that was until we started like laughing or something. And my mom always gave me the evil eye, making sure that I knew I was out of line. But at times in church, we can be bored. We can be not listening. But that's not where the Israelites were at that day. Everyone is listening. They're hanging off every single word that Ezra the priest is reading right in front of them. And for this occasion, they had, they had constructed this huge platform so that Ezra was high above everyone else. So everyone could see, so that everyone could hear what was being spoken. And they're all hearing the very word of God. And that's what they believed. That it wasn't just a book that he was reading from up front, but it was the very word of God to them. And because of that, not only is everybody assembled and everyone engaged in what's happening, but they're also celebrating. They're also celebrating. Everyone is celebrating together. And that's what we find in verse number five. It says this, Ezra opened the book 
And all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted up their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So as Ezra comes out on that platform, and as he begins to open the book, the people respond. And they start worshiping God. They start looking to God for help. And so the Bible records that they lift their hands. And when they lift up their hands to God, they are receiving that blessing. They're saying, God, we receive that blessing. As we hear your word today, we believe that you're going to change our lives. So God, we're opening up our hands, believing that we're going to be changed in our midst. And then they fall prostrate. They fall on the ground before God. What are they doing in that moment? Well, they're humbling themselves. They're believing that God is the one true God. And so they're humbling themselves before God. So everyone is engaged. Everyone's listening. And then they prepare their hearts to hear from God. And as they prepare to hear from God, God raises up some of the Levites to begin speaking. Now, I would read all their names, but I'd probably butcher it. So we're going to skip on. So all of these Levites are sharing and reading. And here's what it says in verse number 7. They instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. So these Levites come and they begin to explain the word of God. And everybody understands it. Nobody is confused about what's going on. Nobody is trying to figure out what's taking place because they're making it very clear. These teachers are standing up front and they're explaining to them. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read the Bible, I have lots of questions. Lots of questions. But here, what's happening? These teachers are getting up front and they're explaining what's going on. And everybody there understood what was happening. Now, I don't know if you know a lot about church history, but there was a time in church history where people would go to church and that pastor or that priest, whoever got up front, would speak in just Latin. Just Latin. That's it. And if you spoke only German or French or English, you didn't understand a word of what's going on. And because of that, they would just sit there clueless. And when they did that, they lost the very power of the word of God. You see, when we understand what happens in the pages of the word of God, it changes us. It leaves us different. It leaves us also in this vulnerable state. Because the Bible says that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce your very heart. And that's what happens when we make it easy to understand. And as these Levites are making it easy to understand, it's changing the people. And they begin to mourn over what they've done. And they begin to be sad over the, the way that they've lived for all these years. That they sat for all those years and they did nothing. And so Nehemiah and Ezra kind of see this happening. And so they remind the people of this. Here's what it says in verse number 9. It says, Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites, who were instructing the people, said to them, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared, 
This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So all of these people who are assembled that day, they start weeping. They start crying because they start to think about all the things that they've done that are wrong. When Nehemiah sees this happening, he says, hey, we know on your own, you can't make it. You can't do this on your own. But here's the good news. God is your strength. And you find this joy when you look to him. Yes, on your own, you are impossible. It's impossible for you to get this right. But God can give you strength. And then he says, go eat a meal, have some drinks or anything like that, and feel better. What's he trying to do? He's trying to encourage them in that moment. And I love this passage of scripture all the way back in Nehemiah. Why? Because does it, does it sound familiar to anybody else? And this was written right 2,500 years ago. And I believe it's one of the first worship services that we find in all of the Bible. And when we think about sagebrush and what we do around here, we are trying to do some of these same things that we find all the way in the book of Nehemiah. Here's what we're trying to do. Number one, if you're taking notes, we bring the word of God on this platform. Every single week, you're going to hear a message not from pop culture or psychology. You're going to hear a message straight from the Bible. And we try to do this every single time. We are sharing the word of God when we stand up here on the platform. With every worship song that we sing, it's all about lifting up the Bible, lifting up the very word of God. And we have constructed this large platform here at our church with lights, smoke, drums, cameras, and everything else. And some people come here and they wonder, well, why? Why go to such expense? Well, we go to that expense so that we can make sure that the word of God goes out. We want to make sure that the word of God goes out. And over the pandemic, I have been so grateful for that. Because the word of God has continued to go out online and on television and to the utter ends of the earth. That's what we're trying to do. We're not trying to lift up the name of sagebrush. No, we're trying to lift up the very word of God. We also, as we meet here regularly every weekend, we make the Bible clear and easy to understand. And lots of people fault us for this as a church. They look at Sagebrush and they go, man, I, I don't know about that church. I mean, you know, they kind of are weak on their Bible and everything else. Well, that's not true. We take the Bible very seriously, but we want to make the Bible easy to understand because we know that's where the power is. Now, for me, myself personally, I have my master's degree in divinity. I did five years of Bible college. I had to learn to read the Bible in its original languages which took a very long time. I had to study historical theology and church history and so much more. And I could stand up on this stage and I could bore you with biblical facts, but there's no power in that. The power is when people understand the Bible. And those are some of the best preachers that you'll ever hear. Those preachers who could stand on a stage and they could bring the Bible to life. Those people who can tell a compelling story about what's going on in Scripture and how it applies to your life. I've been to lots of different churches, and those are some of the best pastors I've ever heard. On the flip side, 
when a pastor just speaks over my head and I can't understand a word of what they're saying. The message of God's word diminishes in value, doesn't it? Because if you don't understand the words that are coming out of my mouth, it's not going to change your life. But that's what I love about this church. Because every weekend when we get together, we make the Bible easy for you to understand. Because that's where the power truly is. But it goes beyond that. We're a church that believes this. We don't hold back in telling the truth. Every weekend when we meet together, we're not scared to talk about sin. We're not scared to talk about where this culture is leading us and how bad it really is. We're not scared to talk about things that are unpopular that we find in the Bible. You will always find that the truth is presented here at Sagebrush. That's what we're all about. And we will be that church because we know that that's what changes lives. We know as we share the very words of God that it cuts to people's hearts. And this is what I love about our church. Because I spend a lot of time in our lobby at Sagebrush just talking with people. And every time I talk with people, they come out of the auditorium and they're always like, Oh my, that message was just for me. I mean, it was like Todd read my email this week. He knew what went on in my family. He knew about the fight we had in our car on the way to church. He knew how much I'd been drinking last night. He knew how my relationship with my wife wasn't what I wanted it to be. Have you ever wondered why it's so powerful around here? It's so powerful because every single weekend, we share a word that's from God, straight from the Bible. And when we share the truth in a loving and a caring way, we always share it in a compelling way with lots of jokes and stories and different things too because we want it to be understood. But it's always done in truth and in love because we believe it's a catalyst that can change lives. We also do church this way. We believe that God gives us true strength. And I have to ask you folks this question. Where does your strength come from? Does it come from yourself? Does it come from your family or even your great wealth? Where does your strength really come from? Because God wants you to find your strength in him. And that's what I love about our church. When we finish a service around here, we always offer you the opportunity to get prayer or to get help. Why? Because God is our strength. He's the one who lifts us up. As we study his word, it truly changes us and he gives us that strength that we need. But here's the sad part about all these different things that we try so hard to do around here. Most people only come to our church once out of every five weeks, which is so sad for me as a pastor because we take such great effort at making sure that the word of God goes forward and many people don't show up. Many people don't take the time to even turn on their television or our live stream. And that saddens me as a pastor because I know that there is so much power in the very word of God when we come together. But what if we were different? What if we were different? What if we were like those Israelites who came to their senses, who said, you know what? I want to get the most out of my time with God. When I come together to church to study the Bible, I'm going to be engaged. I'm going to listen 
to what's being spoken. I'm going to take notes. I'm going to learn so that I could grow closer to God. What if we were different by joining a small group? And I personally, I love my small group. Even this past week, we sat down as a small group just studying the Bible together. And as we studied the Bible together, lights were coming on in our head. Because we were understanding it better and better as God used the other people in our group. What if we didn't settle for good enough? What if we didn't settle for good enough in our own relationship with God? And we took this relationship very seriously. We started studying the Bible both on our own and in the context of community. I believe our life would be changed. And I could say that because I've seen that over and over and over again at this church. One of my favorite stories is the story of a man named John that I met about eight years ago. And John was a guy who was a mechanical engineer out at the Sandia Labs. And he was one of the smartest guys I've ever met. When I first met John, he was a skeptical agnostic. But he fell in love with this woman who came to our church. I'm not an advocate for missionary dating, okay? But John fell in love with this gal, and he actually started coming to our church because of it. And as he started coming to our church, he would come in for the messages and he'd listen. And not only did he listen to our messages, but he got into a small group where he could ask some hard questions all about the Bible. And John just couldn't, couldn't allow Father uh, all the worlds that he was running in to kind of compute. Because he couldn't understand the example that he was seeing in this woman and her love for God and what he was reading in the Bible. But my friend John found that it was all true. And he ended up giving his life to Jesus Christ. And it changed everything. But what I love is that about three years ago, his life was forever changed before he went into a huge trial. Three years ago, I was standing at one of our services for Christmas. And Noel, his now wife, came up to me and she said, John has been diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Would you please pray for him? And we prayed. And John boldly went into this fight with cancer. And he had great, great faith. He had received this bone marrow transplant. And afterwards, he came to me uh, one weekend and he just said, Hey, Andrew, I, I know that my faith in Christ is solid, but I'm concerned about my 89-year-old mom. So he said, hey, will you go over to her house and will you sit with her and will you share Jesus with her? And I said, John, I'm sure that you can do this yourself. But John said, I would just feel a little bit more comfortable if you were there. So I went over to John's mom's house and we sat down, began to share about Jesus. And I said, John, why don't you share your story of how your life was changed? And it was there that John shared how he was a skeptic, how he was an agnostic. And because he read the Bible, how his life had been changed by Jesus. Then three weeks later, my friend John died. But John had a peace because he knew that Jesus was with him. He knew that all the pain and suffering would soon be over. But John also had peace because his 89-year-old mother gave her life to Jesus Christ. That's good news. You see, my friends, the Bible will transform your very life. And we've been saying this all along as we've done this series. I hold in my hand a copy of God's word, the Bible. Will you read it? Will you allow it to change your life? My question for you today is, 
will you read it in community? Will you read this with other people? Because I believe if you do, it will forever change your very life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to share this story. God, you know how much we need you, how much we we need your word in our very life. So Father, I pray right now for my friends that maybe this would be that moment where they get serious about you. That maybe, God, today they wouldn't settle for just being good enough. But, Lord, they'd get tired of the way that they've been living. That they would get tired of just going through the motions. God, today, I pray, would be the day that they get serious about you. That they get serious about reading the Bible for themselves. And that, God, they'd make it a point to come to church. And to maybe even get into a small group. I pray right now, God, that decisions would be made for you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.